Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Last week, Blair Hickman, the director of audience at Vox.com, got an unsettling text message. morning, I was out walking my dog, and I got a text from my ex, and we haven't talked since June. Okay. And all the text said was, haha, I don't think this is for me, but I hope it was at least a pumpernickel bagel. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. So wait, without any context at all, yes. you get this random text from your ex about a bagel? About a bagel. And there was no, I hadn't texted him. So it was just out of nowhere. I responded and said, you know, I don't know what this is about. And he sent me a screenshot of of his phone, of his text messages. And there had been a text from me at 3.36 that morning. And it said, in all caps, and a fucking bagel with like six exclamation points. And remind me uh, what he answered again uh, when he saw that text message finally. Ha ha. I don't think this was for me, but I hope it was a pumpernickel bagel. Hope all is well. (laughs) That's my favorite kind of bagel. (laughs) That's so sweet, actually. (laughs) He's he's very kind. (laughs) How long were you guys together? We were together almost three years. And you had not talked in months? since June. What were you feeling as you were going through the process of figuring out what happened? So unsettled. I was feeling creeped out. There were lots of things that had happened in the last 24 hours. Like, I normally sleep with my phone in the living room, but last that night, I happened to have it in my bed, and I, I don't <laughs> understand how this happened. It, like, really threw off my life for two hours. Okay. Oh, my God. So, where did you leave things with your ex? It opened up a nice, short conversation. We both you know, found out a couple hours later, it was like a text snafu, basically. That text snafu was actually a pretty big deal. Turns out more than 168,000 text messages sent around Valentine's Day this year never reached their intended recipients. And then they finally did, last week. So a bunch of people received nine-month-old text messages, and Blair's ex was one of them. And apparently this happened across all four major carriers for both iPhones and Androids. So it felt good that there was an actual technical explanation, but also a little scary because it brought up a lot of questions for me about 
why is my text message still kind of in their cloud? Right. <laughs> you know, how many people don't even know that their phone sent text messages at 5 a.m. because no one responded to them? Texting is so intimate, it always feels like something that is just between you and the other person. And it does feel like the creepiest part of it to me was maybe they're not as secure as I thought they were. I'm Ariel Dimros. Today, I'm talking about the short message service, or what regular people call SMS text messages. I'm going to break down why they kind of suck and how cell phone carriers plan to replace them. This is Reset. I was really surprised, actually. Uh, SMS has been around for so long. It's the sort of thing that you think you can just take for granted. But it turns out that it is uh, way more complicated and complex than we realized. Dieter Bone is the executive editor at the tech website The Verge. When it comes to texting, he's the person you want to talk to. So Dieter, why did this Valentine's Day SMS snafu happen? So when you send a text message, your phone carrier doesn't necessarily know where it's supposed to go just by, from the phone number. So they need to have this thing called an interconnect where like all the carriers talk to each other. And there are companies that sit in the middle and handle that. And one of these companies is called Cineverse, uh, which just sounds completely sinister. <laughs> they they claim to handle, uh, I think it's something in the, in the neighborhood of 600 billion messages a year. And they are the company, one of the companies that makes sure that an SMS goes from one place to another. And this company had a server malfunction on Valentine's Day of all days. And instead of the messages just disappearing, you know, these many months later, they like went to go check out the server, got it fixed. And all of a sudden, all of these messages went out. That's kind of crazy because I think most people don't think about their SMS text messages being shared with anybody other than the recipient and maybe the carrier, right? Yeah, so the, that that's what you expect. But uh, in fact, text messages are uh, they're such a primitive technology that it's just unencrypted text going out over the network. And so it just it runs through servers and different carriers have different policies about how long they hang on to those messages. So in theory, all those messages should have just like gone into the ether. But in practice, they got stuck on a server. What does that tell you about privacy in SMS? Uh, Privacy in SMS is not great, uh, but privacy in general with cell phone carriers, especially in the U.S., is also not great. Uh, They are more than willing to uh, respond to sorts of questions from the government, uh, whether there's subpoena and sometimes if not. Uh, they maintain lots of metadata, which is the information about who you talk to and when. And uh, some of them do hang on to like the actual content of your text messages on their servers for a while and can serve those up to the government uh, if, if they ask for them. So what did the carriers say when all of these stories started popping up uh, about these Valentine's Day texts that are like months old? As little as they could get away with. <laughs> it, it, they were very terse statements. They really didn't want to get into it. They they really don't want to, you know, reveal the complicated Rube Goldberg machine that is the ways that, you know, these companies actually have to interact with each other. So obviously this Valentine's Day thing has uh, taken up quite a bit of room sort of on the internet, people are talking about it. 
But do you think this kind of thing happens more often than maybe we know about or, or, or we think about? Uh, I mean, if it happened this regularly at this scale, I think that uh, the most recent estimate was it was 170,000 messages, which I mean, adds up to, you know, over 300,000 people affected by this. Uh, wow. It, right. That's a lot. And so we would we would see that. But it probably happens on a much smaller scale more often. But we don't have numbers for it. And the carriers, given their you know terse response to this, certainly are interested in sharing it with us. Why doesn't SMS work very well all the time. SMS doesn't work very well all the time because it often runs over the cellular network. So they just can't build all the extra information in that you'd want from a modern messaging service. You don't have a red receipt, so you don't know if your message was received. You can't send photos. Uh, group chats turn into like a hellacious disaster all of the time. Right. Um, so everything that feels like it's a modern messaging experience there is actually just sort of a hack that was built on top of SMS. And so what everybody wants is to get onto some sort of universal system that actually is more secure than SMS, uh, but also like has all of those other features. Are there any plans to make SMS better? There is a plan to make SMS better. It's been around a long time. It's called RCS, which stands for Rich Communication Services. Google's been trying really hard to have this adopted because then it would, you know, Android would have a good text messaging app by default. But a lot of the carriers have been dragging their feet on adopting it because it's a lot of extra work to implement this thing. And SMS has been treating them just fine up until now. Okay. Whoa. So SMS is going to get replaced by something called RCS. That seems like a big deal. What does that actually mean? What is RCS? It follows that same sort of model as SMS, where there's a bunch of different carriers that control their own servers, but they do a better job of talking to each other, and it's more advanced, which means that you can get most of the modern features you expect from a text messaging app, like read receipts, like high-quality photos, like videos, and like really good group chats. And so it's a much better experience so long as the phone you're using and the phone you're talking to both have it turned on by their carrier. And up until relatively recently, that's been a crapshoot. It's actually still a crapshoot, but starting next year, the four major carriers in the U.S. promise that they're going to make it universal. Who are the carriers that are involved with this? It is uh, Sprint, T-Mobile, Verizon, and AT&T. So that's the news. Four carriers are going to be working together to try to make this RCS thing happen. Yep, that's correct. So it's called the CCMI, which uh, is the Cross-Carrier Messaging Initiative. And that is a joint venture. It's a completely separate company that all four of these companies have agreed to work with. It's going to spin up the RCS server, and it's going to make sure that all of these phones that are on these networks are going to be able to have this more advanced messaging you know, protocol. Unfortunately, it also is probably going to mean that a lot of Android phones are going to have an app that's made by the CCMI. And that's troubling because uh, historically, the apps that carriers make are, um, what's the word, terrible. Okay, so given that track record, given that we're talking about carriers making an app, how hopeful are you that RCS will actually be something that people want to use and that people should use? I am more hopeful than you might expect given how uh, dour I've been up to now. Uh, Google, which controls 80 to 90% of the phones, smartphones on the planet, that's how big Android is. They have a vested interest in making sure that this is not a crappy experience because the crappier that the default texting experience is on Android, the more likely people are just going to go to get an iPhone. So they hopefully will put some pressure on the carriers to do this right. We're going to have to see. Now, the carriers promise that they're going to launch their app in this service in 2020, and we won't know until we get closer to that whether they're going to allow you to use the texting app you already use or if you're going to have to use the app that they're going to ship. 
So what is the most crucial thing that people should pay attention to with the advent of RCS? The most crucial thing to pay attention to is whether or not anybody starts saying anything about encryption and specifically end-to-end encryption because that's the kind of encryption that guarantees that only the sending phone and receiving phone can decrypt the message and see what's on it. Is there actually a chance that carriers will be able to get even more information from users through RCS? There's definitely a chance they could get more information from users uh, using RCS. They'll be able to potentially see the images that are sent. They'll know when read receipts went back. They could see, you know, what's going on in group texts. It's unlikely that carriers are actually going to be, like, actively reading your conversations. To be clear, there's no technical reason that RCS couldn't be end-to-end encrypted. They've just chosen not to. SMS will keep existing at least for a while. Is that, does that matter? Is that important? Uh It matters insofar as, as sort of the universal fallback, uh, there are a bunch of things that can fall back to SMS if, uh, you know, IP-based data message doesn't go through. Uh, Specifically, like, honestly, like, emergency services. There are are some emergency alerts that if they, they can't get out over a data connection might end up getting sent over a text message. And to be blunt, that's one of the reasons why I'm actually pretty angry about this Valentine's Day text message screw up is... If you're not sending text messages, the thing that we all believe we can fall back on and rely on, uh, you need to be much more transparent about that because it's one thing to get a text from your ex. It's another thing to not get a text from, you know, the local fire department or your doctor or something else. So depending on your phone carrier, the default texting app that you use could change because of this upgrade. And it'll let you send richer text messages. That could also further compromise your privacy. Funny how that happens, right? And in some ways, the upgrade makes sense. Because as Dieter mentioned, the tech that powers text messages is old and definitely due for an update. But here's the thing. Plain old dumpster fire SMS text messages are actually super important technology. That's after the break. I've been texting professionally since, like, 2010. Lloyd Kotler is the co-founder of Banter Messaging, an agency that helps organizations talk to customers through SMS. He also worked on Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. Uh, So I was the SMS director on the campaign, so I ran the uh, short code program. If you uh, ever joined, uh, texted anything to 47246, uh, that is what I did for almost two years. I'm sorry, I have to ask you a question. Are you the first person in the history of U.S. elections to have the title SMS director? I am, or was, or did. I mean, there are probably, you know, many more now, uh, or at least, you know, eight or nine more now. Uh, right. But yes, up until up until uh, earlier this year, at least, I was probably the only person uh, who actually had that title in America. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. I like to think so, too. How exactly does a text message campaign on behalf of a presidential candidate work? Um, well, it, is, it works really cool. Um, so it's basically a direct communication from either the candidate or representative of the campaign, you know, to uh, supporters, to constituents, to voters who, you know, are supporting them or want to learn more. Uh, so folks kind of text in, they join a list the same way they would, you know, go to a website and fill out their email or, you know, sign a, a petition or something like that. Uh, They learn a little more about the campaign. The campaign asks them, 
you know, more about them, their name, their address, uh, their zip code, stuff like that. And then uh, basically you just start texting them. This might seem like a weird question, but I actually don't know how this works. Is there actually a person pressing send from a presidential campaign to a supporter or somebody who's interested in that candidate? There are two different types of campaign messaging. Um, A to P, which is uh, what I worked on for Hillary mostly, is that automated messaging. So A to P is application to person. So there is a you know computer program basically running everything on you know logic based rules. If they reply their name, say. Thanks, Lloyd, right? You know, an automated flow back and forth. What's your name? What's your zip code? People reply. There's also P2P messaging, which is peer-to-peer messaging, uh, which was called uh, Megaphone on the campaign. There are a couple of companies that do it now. And that is an actual human being who sits and press send on every message. So why use SMS at all to communicate with people who are interested in a candidate? Uh, So there are a lot of reasons, right? And it also kind of depends on which people you are talking about. Um, So, for instance, if you want to reach, you know, young people, right, um, they are just much more likely to be texting than to use email. Um, If we're trying to reach, you know, Spanish-speaking voters, right, you may not have a campaign infrastructure for an entire Spanish language website and stuff like that. Um, But you can kind of do, you know, small 160-character Spanish messaging, um, you know, you can do a lot more personalized stuff, give people kind of uh, a way to participate without opening themselves up on social media for harassment and trolls and that kind of stuff. Um, right? Like, if you try to ever just, like, get in the Instagram comments of, uh, you know, political anything, right, it's horrible, uh, versus just kind of texting in your own little bubble and uh, getting back, you know, a friendly response, that kind of stuff. Also, just, it's where people are at. Uh, people don't really want to get phone calls. So texting is just a way to kind of cut through the noise to make sure people see your message uh, because folks don't generally turn off, you know, SMS notifications with the way they would mute app notifications. You know, I think there's a way to look at SMS and feel like it's starting to be kind of old tech. What's the perception for um, in terms of of a presidential campaign? Is does this feel like it's like cutting edge communication with voters or does it feel like it's somewhere in between? So it is kind of old, right? I mean, it's probably, what, uh, 27 years old by now, 28 years, something like that. Uh, right. So it is, you know, kind of old school technology, uh, which is great because it means it's universal and, you know, every phone can do it, basically. Campaigns are, you know, pretty at this point willing to embrace it. They know that it's the way to really reach people. So um, in 2018, for instance, right, uh, 40% of voter contact was by SMS. Uh, in 2016, it was only 6%. It means that they are able to uh, send more messages to more places and talk to more voters, places where, like, on-the-ground organizing, you know, might not be feasible, right? Like, we're able to talk to way more voters in Wyoming or Montana than we were ever able to before because, you know, kind of uh, the realities of in-person organizing there. Along those lines, how crucial was SMS to Hillary Clinton's campaign and the overall presidential race in 2016? Crucial, you know, as much as I would like to say it was maybe overstating things a bit. (laughs) Um, It was really the first time that a presidential campaign did like a full-fledged Uh, SMS program and really put resources behind it and had a full-time, you know, person uh, overseeing it, stuff like that. It was a great fundraising tool. Um, So we were able to raise a ton of money uh, and it was all additive. So it was not, you know, kind of just shifting donors from email or from ads to donate on their phone. It was actually opening up 
you know, a whole new vein of revenue for us. Do you remember how much money Hillary Clinton's SMS campaign brought in during her her run? Yeah. Um, so all told from SMS, um, that includes like the store. Uh, so we did things like, you know, buy stuff from the store uh, and then lifting a couple of other programs like telemarketing. We raised a little over nine million by text. So pretty successful. Wow. OK. All right. So you can actually bring in real money through these campaigns. Yes, absolutely. Um, right. I mean, the, if you think about it, these are people that really care about a candidate. They feel like they have, you know, kind of uh, an inside view of things, and it really excites them. Keeping that in mind, you know, that that it was actually really effective in 2016, do you think that SMS campaigns like this will be important in the 2020 election? Is it already important? So I'm not working with any of the 2020 campaigns, uh, so I can't speak to whether they are, you know, raising money at the the same clip or um, using for organizing stuff like that. Uh, and I only see the messages that I'm on A2P lists for, right? So, you know, I'm sure all the campaigns are doing peer-to-peer texting as well, but, you know, because I don't live in one of the the four early states, I'm not re- probably not receiving a peer-to-peer message. I, I have to ask now, you get text messages from all of the Democratic candidates right now? Yes, with the exception of one or two. Uh, is that a terrible experience for you? Uh, it's not as, like, annoying as you would expect, right? It's not like my phone is constantly <laughs> buzzing with text messages about <laughs> political developments. I would say it's frustrating <laughs> for me from, like, a professional point of view. You know, I see some of these messages and cringe a little bit. But, like, the the volume, the frequency, you know, is not uh, overwhelming. How would you rate the top Democratic candidates right now in terms of their SMS strategy? Who's the best? Who's the worst? Um, So I think Liz Warren's team is killing it. I think they're doing great. I think that they have really fun tactics, really interesting stuff going on. She's the only candidate I've seen that you can text in specifically to get pictures and messages from her dog, uh, which is just like the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. I can't believe I never thought of it myself. Um, like, <laughs> just always add dogs, always uh, add honestly, pets. It is a sound strategy. It is just brilliant. The worst, uh, you know, again, without seeing numbers and, and being able to give you kind of uh, an empirical uh, answer to that, um, the the Castro campaign texts kind of make me cringe. Um, it okay. seems like they just copy and paste their full emails into a text message. And so it's, Oof. you know, right, like, seven message long, like seven SMS message long, broken up. Uh, I, it's, a, it's a difficult reading experience. You've been running SMS campaigns for some time now. Is your job going to be affected when you work on SMS campaigns by the advent of RCS? Is that something that you're preparing for? Um, so a little bit. Uh, the RCS stuff will affect P2P messaging way before uh, A2P messaging. So... Um, In the shorter, I wouldn't say short, but in the shorter term, um, P2P messaging will become a lot more robust. Uh, Folks will be able to do, you know, commerce right within the text message. You'll be able to drop in like a product carousel and people can literally do commerce right from a text. You know, the same way we had the quick donate stuff uh, at Hillary, people will be able to do that all in the text message app. Um, So I think that's really cool. That's a thing to, to really think about. I think verification um, is another thing that will be a big advent on the peer-to-peer side with RCS, so that when you do get a text message 
from a place you've never interacted with before, from this new number that you don't you know know, um, RCS will actually like the RCS standard will actually be able to verify. Yes, this is from you know whoever they actually say they right. are. I think some of the RCS stuff is not really gonna you know make a big difference. Um, like a you know a typing indicator, right? That's a cool thing and like it's nice to have, <laughs> but it's not really gonna make a difference. You don't in, think that's relevant in elections? I don't know that that's the most relevant. Um, so we just heard about how SMS is kind of broken sometimes and not super secure and doesn't do all the great things that other messaging apps can do. Why have you made SMS part of your livelihood? Can you make an argument for why it's not so bad after all? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, and I think it's great, right? I don't actually take the it's not so bad view. I actually take the it's amazing view. You really can kind of communicate with as many people as you are able to engage. There's not, you know, you can, we did it a lot for, you know, hearing impaired communities. We have, you know, a lot for students, people that like are left behind by other um, communication methods. I just think it's so important to be able to reach like basically everyone um, to, to let as many people as possible into what you're doing. And SMS just means that you are, you know, open to as many people as possible, people that don't have consistent internet access, uh, people that don't even have smartphones, right? Like, SMS is really just the, the most common denominator that everybody can be, you know, a part of. Um, and I just think the, the personalization, the, the, you know, the intimacy of it, right? You think about who you text in your own life, it's your friends, your family, it's people that you're very close with. Um, so if, you know, an organization or a campaign or even a business, right, can um, achieve that level of intimacy with you, uh, I think that's great. So SMS is just, I think, like, so universal and um, that that's, like, a super important feature of what I do um, is making sure that everybody, that you're talking to everybody and, you know, that they are a part of what you're doing. Did you hear about this uh this snafu that happened uh, where some people got text messages. <laughs> I did. I was terrified. Oh my, I have been terrified all day that somebody is going to text me back. Like, <laughs> like, wait, who was I texting in February? Am I going to get a bad response back? <laughs> uh, thankfully, I have not. This is Reset. I'm Arielle Zemros. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. And you can reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to Reset on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. We'll be back on Thursday. Later, nerds. <laughs>